Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Legendary. Hello, hello. The podcast where we teach you how to make brownies with three simple no, ingredients. This is not a baking podcast. What? This, how many times? This is not Legendary, the procrastinate baking edition. Why? <laughs> because it's what it's the only thing anyone cares about anymore. It's number 1 where can I get more toilet paper? And mm. number two, how do I make scones? Scones. <laughs> it's true. So it says, how do you make things with three ingredients or less? Which I have watched quite a few of the videos. What I don't get, right, is that the whole, I was going to say moratorium, but that seems a bit heavy. <laughs> like the whole kind of ban on non-essential goods doesn't mean that you can only buy three ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's more that yeah, I think it's more that they don't want to then have to go out to the shop to get more ingredients. Oh, so it's like so, how to make things with only what you have in your pantry? Yeah, yeah, like how to make things with just eggs, flour, and sugar or something. Uh, well, I mean, you could make a meringue. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah just, just, eat, just eat that just plain meringue. Sugar, really. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Wait, I can't believe you actually got me talking about this. My God. <laughs> Told you this was a procrastinating episode. No, this is where we talk about old and modern, or what do you call them, urban legends. Right, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, not necessarily only urban, but definitely ancient legends um, from BC all the way up to, say, just pre-Middle Ages. Then that's done by our local classicist, Dushira. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, me, local classicist. <laughs> I take on um, everything after that, basically. Yeah. <laughs> By Rishabha. Right. A local nobody. <laughs> a local hero. A local phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're a local alien. <laughs> so That doesn't make any sense. I I said welcome to episode four, but I have to say this should technically have been episode six. Oh, we're telling them. Yeah, we are telling them of our shame. We recently ran into huge recording pro- problems in which basically... Um, the previous episode 4 and episode 5 versions have been deleted. All the data just got wiped off my computer. I don't know how it happened or why. But uh, yeah, so this is technically episode 4, take 2. Which might be why we don't sound that enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it puts energy I'm it. I'm still mourning. Yeah, we really bummed out because there were some really good stories, but don't worry, they're probably going to come back in some form or the other, if not in this season, then in um, future seasons. We just didn't want to really ruin the um, surprise for each other and I think the spontaneity by yeah, I want to be repeating the same anymore. stories. Yeah, I honestly, I can't react We're in a surprised famous. way. Like, oh my <laughs> god, I've never heard a story. before. It's not like you told me that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. So we're back with completely new stories, but it's going to be just as fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in episode three, way back when, you started first, yeah. which means that I get to go first. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Story. Tell me. All right. You think you're ready, but you are not ready. Okay. Okay. Big words. Big words. We'll see. <laughs> Tell me, what do you think of when I say the word elves? So many things. Like... The short elves, and also the really elegant tall elves from Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and also Elf on the Shelf. Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> <laughs> also Elf the Musical. 
Okay. There's a lot of things. Right. So there's a lot like Santa's elves. Elves come to mind. But I think that especially in modern pop culture, probably most people think of Oh yeah, that's right. Just drive right down our street while we're recording. I mean they don't know. Yeah, well no one should be driving down the street anywhere. We're in lockdown. Maybe they're in essential lockdown. Ah, sorry about that interruption. What I was saying is that I think most people um, believe in the really elegant elves, the ones that live in fancy castles and sip elegantly on their little wine with their, <laughs> you know, <laughs> silken hair flowing in the background. Um, so what if I told you instead that elves are essentially grubby children that live in rocks? No, yeah, I actually thought of those guys first. Oh, really? I actually thought about like the straw, not that great. Oh, you're on the grubby elf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's more. I don't know. It's more realistic for a legend. Well, great, because you're already primed. Okay. Cool. That is the second truck to go down this road. Yeah. This is clearly not months. a good time right now. Yeah, we're recording in what is usually <laughs> peak traffic, and yeah, that truck is giving birth to a baby or something <laughs> because it is a screaming down the road. Okay. Assuming we don't have any further motor vehicle interruptions, I will try to continue the story. Okay, so today I'm talking about the Hobiefolk of Iceland. The what? Hobiefolk. Oh, oh, fuck. Yeah, I have no idea if I'm... Of Iceland! Okay, cool. Yeah, I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly. I'm, yeah. I'm doing my best out here. Um, so the Icelandic Hobiefolk, which means uh, literally hidden people, are nature it. creatures, which apparently have extreme views of urban development. Extreme, <laughs> okay. To be discussed later. Okay, you see what I mean. There's two stories for the potential origins of holy folk. Both are heavily Christian-based. I assume because Christianity was the prevalent religion mm. of the time um, in Iceland. Yeah. So the first story takes place in the Garden of Eden, prior to Adam and Eve's, shall we say, untimely eviction, <laughs> in which not enough notice was given, and the deposit was not returned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first story goes that Eve actually had two separate sets of children. Oh. The supposedly clean set, which I presume refers to Cain and Abel, okay. the children that we actually know about from the Bible, and the supposedly dirty set, which she wished to hide from God. Which are the elves. Right, so God asked Eve whether she had children other than the clean ones, um, which are the children that she had shown him, mm. and she lied to him oh. about their existence. You know what? Eve. Yeah, Eve done fucked up a second she needs, time. Yeah, what? She needs an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> she's just, she's a compulsive liar. Yeah, what is with that? Well, the idea is that she was ashamed of these children because apparently they weren't so-called clean. What does that even mean, though? Like, what, they're grubby? They're dirty? Just clean them. I have no idea, <laughs> to be honest. But anyway, because God is all-knowing, he actually already knew about the dirty children, and he gave them the status of holy folk, that is, hidden people. Mm. The second story is a little bit weirder, and is a little bit harder to see the connection to holy folk. Okay. In this one... A traveller is welcomed into an old woman's house one evening. He requests that one of the woman's daughters join him in bed. Yeah, what the fuck? And for some reason, 
the old woman at least to this situation. Oh yeah, because she regularly sells off her children. Yeah, I don't know whether this was like, you know, that kind of house. Maybe this was the business that she was running. I mean, no shame. It's just, it's a bit weird the way that it's said in the article. It's just that he requests one of the daughters. children. Yeah. Rarely. Yeah, that's kind of strange. Oh, it is. It's even worse. But anyway, the old woman consents to have one of her daughters join the traveler in bed. But apparently when the traveler tries to touch the daughter, his hand passes right through her. What? Okay. So the explanation given to the traveler about why this happened is that the holder folk uh, were being punished for taking uh, no side in the revolt of Lucifer against heaven. So for being neutral in the battle between the devil and God, essentially. Holder folk were punished to live in rocks and hills wait, in the wait, earth. Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of hard to see the connection Why would they between this. To what? help. <laughs> What's wrong with being neutral? I mean, yeah, you know what I'm saying? yeah. I mean, I I don't really see the problem with being a pacifist, but mm. apparently this was yeah. an issue. It was like, well, you know, if you're not on my side, you're against me. <laughs> <laughs> I really started on well. Sorry, that's not how it goes. You can tell I'm an aficionado of action movies. I suppose he was like, you know what, if you're just going to stand by and let all this evil happen, you might as well just disappear. So, well, I can kind of get the connection. Whatever the, the heaven's reasons were. Wait, what does that have to do with the girl who disappears? Oh, oh, she was. Mm-hmm. So, I think the presumption is that she is one of the whole folk. Oh, and, and she yeah, became not only invisible, but also, like, completely uh, um, intangible. That was the one that we picked. <laughs> yeah, it's, like I had it, jokes it's quite you. interesting. So mm-hmm. that's the second origin story. There, there are other origin stories. One mm. has the whole folk as children of Lilith, who is mm-hmm. a pretty well-known yeah. demon. So here it depicts the whole folk basically just as fallen angels. Okay, okay, okay. So from all of these stories, you get the impression that these elves are quite sinister, but. In truth, it's really just the origin stories that are sinister, because the elves themselves are not particularly harmful in most of the stories, and instead they just seem to be deterrents for the destruction of nature through urban development. Sorry about that. That was totally my phone ringing in the middle of a recording session. (laughs) Uber professional, that's us. So professional. Legendary, the podcast in which we teach you about professional podcasting. So we teach you how not to podcast. (laughs) Yeah, actually, this is, yeah, it's a cautionary tale. The entire thing is a cautionary (laughs) tale against... We're teachers. We're educators. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, as I was saying... Did you turn your... Yeah, I I turned my phone off. Okay. Sorry. I'm also incidentally using my phone to read my notes, so it was just generally a mess. (laughs) It's okay. Okay, so an example of how these elves are kind of a deterrent for uh, the destruction of nature. There's a lava field in Iceland called Galgaron, I think. Did you say lava field? Yeah, a lava field. That's apparently something that's quite common in Iceland. Apparently this lava field is made up of a lot of different rocky formations mm-hmm. that's you know made out of the lava itself okay. and one of these is an elf church what yeah it's a church for elves i'm explaining <laughs> okay. i know i know how it goes <laughs> a local named dion's daughter who is apparently the operator of an elf garden okay cool 
protested a proposal to build a new road that would cut through this church. Mm-hmm. So according to an article on theatlantic.com, both she and another seer visited the field separately and came to the same conclusion about the spot where the Alf church was built. Okay. This is what she said. In quotes, I mean, there are thousands or millions of rocks in this lava field, but we both went to the same rock or cliff and talked about an elf church. So she and the seer mm-hmm. separately identified this place as an elf church. Apparently, she can see it, sense its energy, and um, just generally can feel the presence of elves. You know what writes elves? In this area. Yeah, and uh, this is a picture of what this rock formation looks like. Oh yeah, I totally don't see. Yeah, you could kind of imagine how it would be a house. It's basically a mossy boulder in the middle of this <laughs> really... I like that boulder. <laughs> in the middle of this really craggy land mass. I mean, it's not pretty though. Like, why would you want to put a road through that? That's true. However, it seems that as long as the development is not deemed superfluous by the elves, like it's not being done for what they think is some kind of silly, ultimately unnecessary reason, they don't have a problem moving out so, of the area. So they, they ask the elves? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. You see, there's actually um, cases in which the seer discusses the matter of new development with elves. Cool, cool, cool. Right, so if the elves think that the construction is really useful or really necessary, they don't usually have a problem moving out of the area. Mm-hmm. However, if they think that you're disrespecting them and building on their region without permission and without any really good reason, mm-hmm. bad things can happen. Okay, now we're getting to the good stuff. Yeah, we're going to be talking a bit more about like the reasons that people believe in these okay. creatures. Um, later on, but firstly I want to just talk a little bit more about the Holdefolk themselves. Mm-hmm. Apparently their behavior is very similar to humans. Mm-hmm. According to Professor Vladimir Hafstein of the University of Iceland, they keep livestock, they cut hay, row boats, and they also have priests and sheriffs. Oh, okay. Apparently they also attend church on Sundays, which I found interesting considering they're supposed to be descended from demons. <laughs> they attend the same church as the humans attend? I mean, no, no, they attend their elf church. Their elf church. Okay, I was going to like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I think, yeah, I so think basically, it's all misunderstanding, I think. What, this, this whole, whole descended from thing. demon thing? Yeah. You know, maybe, oh, they're just, maybe they're just attending to gather information for the other side. <laughs> their little elf spies. <laughs> gathering, gathering intel in their own church. <laughs> Um, according to Jon's daughter, the Holdefolk may be anything from a few centimeters to three meters tall. Although, what? apparently, people mostly see creatures that are the size of a seven-year-old child. Three, three meters? Yeah. So they can be oh, so really, not... really small oh, or really, really, really big. Oh, okay. But, I mean, no one's really seen a three-meter-tall Holdefolk. Holde... What is the <laughs> singular of folk? I feel like folk is... Oh. Hold a person. Hold a... Hold a fink. Hold a fink. <laughs> Think is singular folk. Think is singular folk. <laughs> but yeah, mostly the creatures are seen to be around one foot. Tall. <laughs> Sorry, that is um I don't know what is his name. Which um he's so famous. Tall. Alexander Oh Alexander Skarsgard? Yeah. He's probably an elf. I mean he's really tall. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He's <laughs> Swedish though, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård, the grubby Icelandic elf. Yeah, yeah, he's grubby. 
Okay, their houses, which as mentioned before are built into rocks, may be multiple stories in size, so they can get really fancy. So, again, while they're generally harmless when they're given due respect by humans, Hafstein says that if their buildings are disturbed, the Holderfield may cause machinery to break, a worker may be mysteriously injured, usually something fairly neutral like a sprained ankle or something. And in some stories, however, livestock or even people may suddenly fall ill and die. Okay. So it can get kind of yeah, rough. Yeah, that's good. I mean, don't tread on their turf is basically what they say, you know. Yeah, that's Keep fair. off the grass. That's fair. Apparently stories of these Icelandic owls are taken so seriously that the Icelandic Road and Coastal Administration has a formal statement regarding them. <laughs> Do you want to hear a part yeah. of the statement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> it cannot be denied that belief in the supernatural is occasionally the reason for local concerns, and these opinions are taken into account just as anybody else's would be. This is simply a case of good public relations. We value the heritage of our ancestors, and if oral tradition passed on from one generation to the other tells us that a certain location is cursed, or that supernatural beings inhabit a certain rock, then this must be considered a cultural treasure. In the days when the struggle with the forces of nature was harsher than it is now, conservation came to the fore in this folklore, and copses and beautiful natural features were even spared. And then basically the statement goes on to talk about how there's been different responses to these concerns, Uh, the administration does not want to be seen as not taking into account the wishes of certain individuals, blah, 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 a lot of legalese. Mm. But, I mean, the amazing thing is that in this official state-sanctioned document, they're talking about the supernatural. Yeah, that's... That, yeah, doesn't actually surprise me for that area. It's so... It's really steeped in folklore. You know? yeah. yeah. And I think it it's really... It attests to the number of people and, and the depth of belief mm. um, in these things. Apparently, a poll found that around 54% of Ice, um, Icelandic people yeah. refused to deny belief in the existence of elves. Okay, so, 54%. So there's, there's a lot of strong tradition going on there. Okay, the elves may even protect people passing through their territory if their homes have been respected. So, for example, in 1970, an area known as the Trolls Pass in northern Iceland was preserved in its original state, Mm. and no accidents have occurred in this area since then. Also, in 2010, Icelandic parliamentarian Arne Johnson was in a car accident in southwest Iceland, in which he drove off a small cliff. However, he survived the incident with minor injuries, and according to him, it's the elves that saved his life, basically. Because apparently, um, according to uh, Jon's daughter, you know, the elf gardener I mentioned before. Oh, yeah, yeah. She says that there are three generations of elves living in a boulder nearby to the crash site. Okay. So, Jonsson was pretty convinced that they're the reason he's about. I mean, it makes sense. Checks out. Yeah. And then, so much so that Jonsson actually contacted Jon's daughter to confirm that the elves were living there. And when later on, there was a plan for construction that would have disturbed the house. Mm. He actually opposed it. Yeah. Cool. However, Jan's daughter did confer with the elves, and apparently they discussed the situation and uh, finally agreed to be moved to a new home, so long as their new rock home was on grass so that they could keep sheep. Mm-hmm. 
and that it had a view of the ocean. So this person is how come she can confer with the elves? I gather she's some kind of local Lucian, and because she's an elf gardener, she kind of works for them, I think. Uh-huh. Why didn't she just, you know, bring them up to say hello? Well, they don't want to oh, be seen by people, okay. and I think they're quite retiring folk. Mm-hmm. So that's the legend. Obviously, there are some theories as to, you know, why people believe in elves, what they really are, and mm. so on and so forth. The main theories for why uh, belief in these creatures have proliferated in Iceland um, are that it could have been a coping mechanism for new settlers in uh, what was a fairly desolate mm. new environment. Um, I find this particularly funny. Alaric Hall, I don't know if I'm saying your name correctly, sorry if I'm not. <laughs> anyway, so he or she is a lecturer at the University of Leeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, believes that the elves were created by the early Viking settlers as a oh. race of people that they could metaphorically conquer. Apparently, <laughs> Vikings were so intent on not being indigenous people, but invaders, that they had to create a mythical race of people that they supposedly conquered in order to justify settling in Iceland. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was like, only the only Vikings. The Vikings. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Vikings. <laughs> could possibly... <laughs> Um, so that's one theory. Other researchers suggest that 17th and 18th century settlers, who were generally quite poor mm. and hungry, invented elves just as a kind of comfort that they could make up all these stories of elves with luxurious homes mm. and great lifestyles and things like that. Like, kind of like how the English viewed the royal family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, hidden, one foot tall, <laughs> <laughs> dirty children. <laughs> <laughs> Alternatively, of course, the elves could just be a cautionary tale against a certain nature. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's all three. So my last point is that things can get really fun uh, with this elf custom because apparently there are holidays in Iceland where the custom is to make sure the house is clean and leave food out for the elves on Christmas Eve. Oh. A little bit like leaving looking cookies out yeah, for Santa. Yeah, that's cute. Did they eat them? <laughs> well, apparently the, they leave the food out so that they can feast and dance while humans are at church. Uh, then also on New Year's Eve, humans sometimes help elves relocate to new homes because that's when they apparently move. That's precious. And they put out little candles to help oh, the elves find their way. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that's so adorable. Except for the two, the three meter tall ones are fine. Well, I mean, you know, even they can't see in the dark. Oh, yeah. They need help getting to another <laughs> home. I don't know which rocks are large enough to house them. I was going to say, do they live together with the other elves? <laughs> or like, do they have their own digs that are tall enough? <laughs> I just imagine Gandalf in a Bobo oh Baggins yeah. little hobbit house. <laughs> We're like, just bumping into everything. Like, no, no, don't worry. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, really, these elves do sound a lot like hobbits. Yeah, grubby, like food, nature-loving. Yeah. Lazy. <laughs> yeah, so that is the tale of the Holdud folk of Iceland. That was actually really cute. Like, it started off with demons, and then it became really cute. Yeah, it started off demons, ended with cookies and milk. Yeah. See, Eve wasn't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is, like, kind of the backward story of my existence. I started off with cookies and milk and ended in demons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say ended like I'm already dead. But you know what <laughs> oh, I was saying? Like, you're already a demon. <laughs> um... I meant more in terms of inner demons. Oh, metaphorical demons. Gotcha. Sorry. Anyway, my sources for today are theatlantic.com, 
treehugger.com. Treehugger. Yeah, nice. my new favorite. Uh-huh. Wikipedia, of course. Of course. And ancientorigins.net. Ancientorigins.net is my favorite. I know, it's they have so thoughts. much good stuff. Oh, nice. So much good stuff. Nice. Oh, great. Thank you. I also, also, I've never heard of them. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of owls, obviously, but not these specific ones. I also hadn't heard of them. Um, shout out to Aaron Mankey of the very popular podcast, Law. I've been reading his book, The World of Law, and that's where I got the idea for today's topic. Uh, okay. Awesome. Okay, so, mine is, uh, it, I was going to say it's cute, but it really isn't. Uh, it, it, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this. So I'm getting mixing. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about some legendary doggos. <gasps> legendary doggos! Yes, I'm here for ancient doggos. Yeah, but um, oh, but they're all dead now. No, no, but no, no, no. <laughs> These aren't real dogs. They're legendary. All right. <laughs> sure. No, I'm not talking about the history of you know Labrador. Um. Yeah, no, these aren't cute dogs, but they are doggos, so... Yeah, I'm done with hellhounds. Okay, great, so can you, I'm sure you can guess which one I'm going to talk about first. Severus. Correct. <laughs> yes. So, Severus is, like, my favorite doggo. He's actually the sweetest one, in my opinion. So, of course. His name means spot. Yeah, which is what I was going to say, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let me just tell you, you the rest of your him? story. No, I want to hear it. No, <laughs> no I'm joking. You are right. His, his name is actually Spotted. So I can just imagine, like, Hades being like, come here, Spot. Spotty. <laughs> Spot. Spotty. Do you remember when we were kids, we used to have that plastic pop-up book called Where's Spot? Oh, yeah. And it used to be all these cute things where you'd have to, like, lift a flap in the cardboard book and be like, is Spot here? Is Spot here? Yeah. No, Spot's not here. That was my favorite book. Okay. (laughs) It was literature. Sure. Okay, so, um, as I was saying, Cerberus is from Greek mythology, and he guards the Greek underworld, preventing the dead from uh, leaving, (laughs) preventing the dead from living, (laughs) and stops the living from entering, unless ordered otherwise by Hades, his master, the god of the underworld. Um, So, as you were saying earlier, his name comes from the Greek Kerberos, which means spotted. He's depicted as a three-headed dog, but some sources say that he has... Either 50 or 100 heads. What? It's undecided. 50 it's, or 100? It's either 3, 50 or 100. So it just like, it escalates dramatically. In fact, it's a 5. What is it for 3? <laughs> Forget that. Um, he is depicted as having a serpent's tail, a mane of snakes, and lion's claws. His three heads were thought to represent the past, the present, and the future. Well, other sources suggest that they were also symbolic of birth, youth, and old age. Um, kind of, well, not like the face, but like the But similar, other. similar, yeah. which kind of makes sense because he's in the underworld, so it's linked. It's linked, and also in the underworld you have the um, uh, unborn babies, who okay. are also in the garden, and also kind of like, you can see what the connection is. Other sources also said that Cerberus had razor sharp teeth and a poisonous bite, okay. where the poison that would drip from his saliva onto the ground would then spring up into a plant called the wolfsbane. Ah, his saliva made plants. Uh, yeah, his poisonous saliva made plants. His poisonous saliva made poisonous plants. I'm just saying, from poison came life. Oh, life and death, they get you. What I want to know is that did it drip onto the floor of the underworld and then plants. A plant can't grow on the underworld, right? Because I mean, 
Stephanie has a garden. Yeah. I mean, also there's pomegranates down there. Oh, yeah, yeah, true, true. So there are multiple sources concerning Cerberus. A few main ones are like Homer, Hesiod, Virgil, and Ovid. And they all describe him slightly differently. For example, some sources say that he has either three bodies, three backs, one mouth with three tongues, uh, he used to eat raw flesh, and his eyes were ablaze with fire. Holy shit. So there's a lot of different <laughs> things going on here. I mean, eating raw flesh is not that weird for a dog, though. Especially a, um, a huge, monstrous dog. Yeah. But, you know, maybe he also, another source he preferred, he was going sort of flambeed. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, to just lightly Two seared. minutes on each side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just seal. You just need to seal the seal meat. meat. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was his uh, varying descriptions. So his parents were also tremendously creepy. Um, his father was Typhon, who is a, a god in the form of a large fire-breathing dragon. Whoa, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> I know, right? Don't you also want a dragon dad? Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Most of our dads are giant fire-breathing dragons, am I right? It only comes out the other end. <laughs> <laughs> so Typhon had large glowing red eyes, a hundred rings, as well as a hundred heads. Ah. He wished to destroy the world, but Zeus fought him, beat him, and trapped him under Mount Etna, which was also the uh, workshop of Hephaestus. Um, I think I discussed him. I discussed Hephaestus in the last episode, uh, where he made the automatons and all the sort of gadgets and stuff, and the golden ladies. And the golden ladies. So then, Cyrus's mother was a half human, half snake creature called Echidna, who was also known as the mother of all monsters. She had black eyes, the head and torso of a beautiful woman, but the lower body of a snake. So kind, kind of, of like Medusa. Medusa, but I think she didn't have like a head full of snakes. So that's what the difference between her and the Gorgons are. Less snaky. Yeah, we can. I think I must talk about Medusa at some point. She didn't take the snake thing to the max. Yeah. <laughs> so the ancient Greeks believed that she dwelt in a cave and lured men in with her bodily charms uh, before she ate them all. The upper half, I assume. You know, some guys aren't snakes. I mean, not, not, she didn't eat the upper half. <laughs> she lured them with her upper half. You know, I don't want to judge. So if they, you know, were lured in by her snake half, you know, that's what they want to do. <laughs> Okay, so and then she ate them. So Cerberus's parents, charming people. They were like a power couple. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly when it comes to having lots of heads and eating things yeah, raw. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Cerberus was not an only child. Oh. He had three other siblings: the Linnaean Hydra, which was a water snake monster with nine heads, ah. continuing the family business; and <laughs> uh, the Chimera, which is like a lion goat dragon hybrid. And um, another dog called Ortrus, who is uh, a two-headed dog. Aww. So I don't know why he got like yeah, so few heads. Maybe that's was why he didn't become famous. That's why everyone knows Cerberus. <laughs> yeah, shame. He is a lesser known dog, but um, that's his family history. Then there's two main myths uh, concerning Cerberus, which is first one is Cerberus and Orpheus. So Orpheus was a famous musician in Greece who was married to the nymph Eurydice. Eurydice was bitten by a snake and died, but Orpheus was determined to get it back from the underworld. So he managed to enchant the fairy named Charon, who in the underworld ferries dead souls across the river Styx. So he played his lyre and he got Charon to take him across, even though he was still alive. When Orpheus reached Cerberus, he actually managed to lull him to sleep with his lyre and voice. So, Aww. you know, 
kind of like, like she's in the back. Yeah, like fluffy and very and stuff. Right. So that's probably where the idea was coming from. I suspect so. So there is not so vicious as you know, he just likes his music. Yeah. He's a cultured kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, but more involved was his adventure <laughs> with um Heracles. So we know Heracles, son of Zeus, and he had to perform twelve tasks to repent for the murder of his wife and children, which he uh, he did because Hera, he's technically stepmother, drove him mad. But that's another myth that I don't think I need to get into right now. Um, but essentially, one of his tasks uh, was to take Cerberus from the underworld and present him to King Eurystheus, who had set this task. Mm-hmm. So Heracles went to the underworld, found Hades, who told him that he could take Cerberus if he does not use any weapons to do so, and he would then be allowed to take him out and present him to the king. So cute. You can take my doggy if you want. <laughs> so when Heracles found um, Cerberus, who was sort of like patrolling by the river, he began wrestling with him using only his bare hands. He finally managed to get one of Cerberus's hand- uh, heads in a choke lock, which tied the dog and he finally gave in. <laughs> but another version is that Persephone, the queen of the underworld, and Hades' wife, willingly gave Cerberus to Heracles because she was fond of her half-brother, which was Heracles. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. Um, both with the, I mean, it doesn't seem like such a big deal, just lending the dog out for a little bit. I mean, he he's huge, you know. It's a big responsibility. I mean, what if he needs a crap? Can you imagine the size of that turd? <laughs> Can you imagine the size of that pooper scooper? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, you better pick that up. They're going to get fined like, for that. Uh, sir, your, your crap has buried half of Latin America. <laughs> okay. And then another version describes Heracles actually fighting Hades for Cerberus, with Hades getting in when Heracles managed to shoot him in the shoulder with an arrow, which I kind of think is pretty lame. I mean... He's supposed to be a god. And he's like, oh no, I got an arrow in the shoulder. Have you been shot with an arrow in the shoulder? He's a guy. You shouldn't be able to shot him. hurts. Yeah, fine. Something's lame. Um, Yet another version states that Heracles explained these talks to Hades, and Hades gave Cerberus to him as long as he would not hurt the dog, and that he would bring him back immediately when he's done. Seems reasonable. Just so cute. So that was the myth of Cerberus. That was the cute one. Oh, that was the cute one? The (laughs) snake lady? Yeah, no, no, that was actually really adorable. Then I have another one. Um, This is the more interesting one. This is actually from um, Inuit myth. Ooh! Hmm. Interesting. It's the, this race of creatures is actually called Adlet, or okay. So <laughs> pronunciation of these thing, of these names are going to be terrible. They're either called the Adlet or Erikiglet, which is probably not all that sounds like. So this race of creatures were humanoid, were humanoid dog-like tribe. The lower part of the body of the Adlet is like a dog, and the upper part is like a man's. Oh, that's literally the worst combination. <laughs> I was hoping they were just going to be people with, like, puppy ears. Oh, you know, cute. like the Snapchat folder. Yeah, no, nothing like that. I said we were done with cute. Damn it. <laughs> so the legend goes that a woman, Nubiarsiang, which means the girl, lives with her father, Savir Kong, uh, but will not marry any, uh, any man. Um, after rejecting all her suitors, she then goes on to marry a dog. Oh, no. <laughs> what is it with the ancients and bestiality? The dog's name is Ijirkang, where uh, he has white and red spots. Oh, interesting color like combo. A cute doggo. <laughs> Measle dog. Um, they have ten children. 
Holy shit. Five are dogs, and the other five are Abbott. <laughs> That's how genetics works. <laughs> yeah. 50-50. <laughs> now, um, Ejiri King did, doesn't hunt, and so the children go very hungry. And so the father-in-law has to provide for this extremely noisy household. Because you can imagine there's like five children going, Ah, dad, dad, grandpa, and the other one's going, Ruff, 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 ruff. <laughs> can you imagine? Oh, wait, hang on a second. The other part is like a man, so they can probably still talk. Yeah, but they're pissing everywhere. Yeah, true. And also, do they have four legs? They could fucking, like, hang on whoever the hell. <laughs> yeah, they're a bit like girls, too. Um, so finally he gets fed up, and he puts all of them into a boat and takes them off to a small island, leaving the dog behind, um, a jerking. He tells them to come to the island and get meat daily from them and then go away. Oh, wait, you mean he separated the children from their parents? Yeah, he got... Well, he's taken his daughter with him. That he's left the dog husband. <laughs> oh, that's cruel, though. I mean, not that I approve of her marrying the dog, but she must have really loved him. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nibir's young then hangs a pair of boots around her dog husband's neck, and he swims to shore. But her father, instead of giving her meat and placing that in the boots, instead places stones in the boots. Oh! <gasps> And so as he's swimming, he drowns, oh. and he dies. So in revenge, Nibiru's son sends her young dog children to gnaw off her father's feet and hands. <laughs> what? He, in return, kicks her overboard when she happens to be in his boat, and when she's hanging on, um, trying not to drown, he cuts off her fingers. Okay, so I'll be honest, I thought we had a dysfunctional family, but this is a whole nother level. <laughs> then, uh, oh yeah, and also on a side note, when her fingers fall into the ocean, they turn into whales and seals. But that's not really important. How big were her fucking fingers? They turn into them, they're not all. Holy <laughs> crap. They grow and expand. It's like, you know when you put that, like, grow dinosaur thing in your bathtub? Sea monkeys. Sea monkeys, exactly. <laughs> so now she's scared that her father might kill the Adler children that she has. So she sends them in there. And from there, a whole bunch of people spring from the other people. Mm-hmm. The dogs she sends across the ocean, and they arrive beyond the sea to become the Europeans' ancestors. <laughs> the European ancestors <laughs> are dogs. So, wow, that's so shady. So they actually they, they think that this whole myth is a story about them trying to say that their descent is the Inuit people descent from the Adverts, while the Europeans are descent from the dogs. Right. It's the dog people that came across. you to the Europeans. Exactly. <laughs> That's what they think. Um, however, I must note that so the Abbots, I said that earlier that the Abbots are the name was Erekiglet, or right. whatever it was. That apparently can also be a derogatory term for inland First Nation people. Oh. But yeah. I mean, I, I tried to do some more research and I haven't found it being, like, I haven't found anything where it's been used or that sort of thing, but this um, guy who studied should know his name, but I don't have it. And he studied the etymology of these names. He said that this could potentially be a derogatory term. Snap. So, yeah, don't go around speaking about them too much. Well, I mean, I think you're already getting off on the wrong foot if you start talking about how Europeans are descended from dogs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one more very short one. Do you want to hear it? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. Tell me. The last one, uh, the last doggo. <laughs> Is from Chinese mythology. Okay, so, so we're really taking a global yeah, trot yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, looking at more mythology over here. A global walk. A global, no, no, a global trot. Wait, do dogs trot? Horses trot. Okay, a global... I think dogs can trot. Yeah, they do. A global pad, you know, they're sort of padding. Yep. Mm. Never mind. So, this is called Pan Hu, 
Uh, the myth has its origin from the Han people, and legend says that Emperor Ku was unable to beat a warring tribe and offered a reward and the hand of his daughter, the princess, to anyone who could defeat the tribe's leader. I feel like you might know where this is going. <laughs> his own dog, Pan Hu, uh, immediately disappeared from the palace. He was nowhere to be found, and uh, for several months the emperor was worried. Wait, did he run off with the daughter? Eventually, though, Pan Hu returned, carrying the head of the enemy leader in his mouth. Oh, the dog collects the prize. Despite his shock, Emperor Ku married off his daughter to Pan Hu. No! And they had many children. Why? <laughs> Due to this legend, the Yao and Shi people now view dogs as sacred, and they are forbidden from eating its meat. Which, that I mean, shouldn't be the reason <laughs> for eating dogs. You should not eat dogs. I mean, well, yeah, I'm okay, against the whole eating dogs thing. Dogs, I guess, if you absolutely want to. I don't want to tread on other people's cultures and things. Yeah. Like, you know, we're not all made the same, and what seems really gross to us is food for true, other people. True, true. But if you're going to have a reason <laughs> for not eating dogs, it shouldn't be because you should fuck them instead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of the two, I feel like one is worse than the other. Yeah, so um, that was a that was a very short little note that I thought I'd put in there just to keep shocking. I have to say, a lot of dog marrying, which I don't appreciate. Of, yeah, a lot of dogs and humans sort of just bonking, just copulating. Yeah, although I mean they don't mention here what the children look like, so maybe these ones were like structurally fifty percent and fifty percent by children. So yeah, those are just three legends of some doggos or doggo-like things. Um, my references were ancientorigins.net, Greek gods and goddesses.net, Wikipedia, of course, and also for Panhu, I took um, I use this great book called Handbook of Chinese Mythology uh, by the editors Li Hu Yang and Deming An. That's it. <laughs> well, everyone always loves to hear a tale about dogs, and that one was particularly gruesome. But also. <laughs> Also, I apologize. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but now do you agree that Cerberus is actually the cutest one? Yeah, Cerberus was definitely you know, the cutest. Just story. a dog, just guarding stuff, not copulating with any humans. And like he himself, he had a total professional relationship. I mean, his family was also a little fucked up, but but at least they fucked up with each other, right? <laughs> not as much as the Inuit family. I mean, like a dragon getting a snake woman kind of makes sense. At least they're both reptiles. Exactly. And he was, as well as I understand, completely I have to say, those other two myths really made ancient Greeks seem (laughs) well-adjusted. Oh, I haven't told you some of the other Greek myths. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to them in the next episode of Legendary, assuming I don't accidentally delete this one. You didn't accidentally delete the last ones. That was a bug in the program. Who knows? My prowess with technology is such that I delete things without even meaning to. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll be back with new content, Mm -hmm. new legends, new myths, new dog, human stuff. (laughs) No, it's okay. I'll leave that off with it. Alright, as usual, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye! Bye!